0: Welcome to Valley Community Radio. My name is Mark Winwood and this is The Elegant Mind, a program of practical discussion and information brought to you each week, centering on the Tibetan ideas, notions, and practices of mind, science of mind, healthy, beneficial living, and the cultural Buddhist aspects of life on the Tibetan Plateau, which has now very rapidly and intensively been spreading around the globe the elegant mind is broadcast on k-a-p-y community radio serving the lower snoqualmie valley of washington state at 104.9 on the fm dial and internet streamed at www.valley1049.org again my name is mark winwood And it is my pleasure and honor to bring this programming to you. Today's discussion will involve food and the general guidelines concerning what we eat, what we don't eat, when we eat, when we don't eat, and the effects of our food, our nutrition, what we put into our bodies, the effect that that has on our mind, on our behavior, on our clarity, on our intentions, motivations, and our abilities to act skillfully. In doing so, I'm delighted to bring you an interview that I conducted on Monday, July 9th, with a very interesting couple, Lakita and Morali, the proprietors of Longevity Foods, which is a health food store, juice bar, deli, grocery store here in Duval, Lakita and Morali are really, uh, they're very impressive and very, very sweet people and very, very dedicated to bringing their understandings of nutrition and general well-being to the community. They are raw food master chefs. They conduct yoga and meditation gatherings and also very graciously host the Chen Project Tibetan Buddhist gatherings that take place on Thursdays, alternate Thursdays, from six to eight, um, I bring them to you not in any way as, as an advertisement or marketing of, of their establishment, Longevity Foods, but as really bright and brilliant and dedicated energetic sources here in our community to help share the benefits, the true benefits, the spiritual benefits, the mental benefits, the social benefits of healthy eating both in in substance and practice so we're going to share that interview a little later in the program first i'm just going to talk in general a little introduction about general guidelines eating and and of course buddhism and buddhist ideas are uh, are varied throughout the world different cultures different countries different times but i'm going to provide some of the general ideas you know, there are some, uh, some ideas some, and perhaps misconceptions about what Buddhists eat and what Buddhists don't eat in terms of vegetarianism and drinking of alcohol and so on. So we're going to talk about that. Then I'm going to share some music with you, some Bobby Vega music, and in keeping in, in tune with what we're doing on this program today. The song that uh, we'll be sharing is called The Sensitive Chef, and it's a song that Bobby wrote and played in reaction to watching Julia Child on TV one afternoon. So I wouldn't say that Julia was necessarily involved in Buddhist notions of, uh, of healthy food, healthy cooking, healthy eating. But she was a chef all the same. So we're going to listen to a short instrumental, beautiful instrumental cut called The Sensitive Chef, after which there are, uh, there'll there be some community announcements. And then we'll get into the interview with Lakita and Morali on raw foods and spirituality and the mind. So, As is the case with many world practices, Buddhist philosophy implies certain guidelines or precepts or certain rules that individual Buddhists may or may not follow. Laws concerning diet are grounded in the core Buddhist guidelines for living and the ultimate goal of Buddhist practice, which is the elimination of suffering by limiting attachment to worldly things. Although dietary laws apply more strictly to Buddhist monks and nuns, even those who live in the monasteries, the monks and nuns themselves, can adapt their specific food practices depending on conditions such as food's availability and personal needs. So Buddhism, as you know, Buddhism was founded about uh, 500 BCE by a Nepalese prince named Siddhartha Gautama, He was fully trained, certified warrior, scheduled to become king, but he instead escaped from the palace by night and wandered. Well, whether he wandered or not is another story. He was in search throughout India as a mendicant, trying various forms of meditation and understanding to achieve enlightenment, to achieve the the keys to the elimination of suffering. He finally succeeded while meditating under a Bodhi tree, and from that time on was known as the Buddha, the Gautama Buddha. This happened at the age of around 35. He spent the rest of his life teaching the Dharma, which is the underlying order of life, nature, and the cosmos. And upon his death at 80, his well-briefed disciples continued the teaching, and Buddhism became a major influence on the Indian subcontinent and beyond. You know, it is endlessly debated whether Buddhism is a religion or a philosophy. I think here in the West it is clearly a philosophy. It's a way of living, perspectives, it's a psychology, it's a science, it's a spiritual practice, it's an educational endeavor, it's all of those things and, uh, and more. So relating to food, the, the precepts, the five precepts of Buddhism, not to kill, not to steal, not to lie, not to engage in harmful sexual activities, or indulge in mind-disturbing substances. These five precepts or guidelines are, are followed with the understanding that not only adhering to them, but in fact, practicing what we do because we're not doing these things, such as not killing or not lying or not stealing or taking that which hasn't been given to us, or not engaging in harmful sexual practices or intoxicating the mind, will help our minds be more skillful and wise and clear and motivationally pure. One of the things that I'm often asked by people who are just beginning to explore Buddhist ideas is, well, do I have to become a vegetarian? Am I allowed to eat meat? Am I allowed to eat birds? Am I allowed to eat fish? Or do I have to become a vegetarian in order to be a Buddhist practitioner? And the answer, my answer is always no. No, you don't. It's possible that somewhere along the line, you may decide for yourself that you don't want to any longer eat meat or birds or fish. But until you do, absolutely not. You don't need to do that. And in fact, it's odd. Some people find it strange that among the world's Buddhist populations, people are predominantly meat eaters. Certainly in the Himalayan regions, dominated by what we call Tibetan Buddhism or Vajrayana Buddhism, neither the people nor the monks and nuns have had the luxury of vegetarianism. Year-round agriculture was simply impossible. So for this reason, and sometimes even explaining that their tantric practices make vegetarianism unnecessary, Tibetan Buddhists often do not attempt to avoid meat. Even though many monks and lamas have fled Tibet and now live in vegetarian parts of India or other countries where a vegetarian way is not difficult, they still retain their meat-eating ways. American and European converts from other Buddhist forms often give up their vegetarianism as well to be more in tune with their lama. Very famously, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, of all people, the Dalai Lama eats meat. He tried not eating meat, but he was found, his doctors decided that he needed a, to have meat in his diet. So he periodically will eat meat because he, because he needs to. So vegetarian is is really kind of one of the flashpoints of the Buddhist diet that people want to know about. But there's other, other ideas that I'd like to share with you. You know, there is one of those precepts that I mentioned is to avoid substances that intoxicate the mind, that stimulate the mind, including obviously drugs and alcohol, with the idea of cultivating a pure, clear mind. And this translates, in terms of Buddhist diet, often to the habit of eating plain or bland foods. One of the notions of the Buddhist diet is that the correct way to view food and drink is as vehicles for nourishment and nothing else. So there are recommendations that vegetables over meat or fruit over sugar and chewing thoroughly rather than simply eating more are practices to be considered. Overeating causes lethargy and inhibits the clarity of mind that the Buddhist precepts aim to cultivate. Another method by which to lessen the stimulating taste of food is to mix, is to mix the food. The mixing of food, the aim of mixing food is to obliterate the flavor of any individual part of the meal So everything on the plate or everything in the bowl becomes simply food. The black foods or the five pungent spices of onions, garlic, scallions, chives, and leeks are forbidden for some Tibetan Buddhist monastics because they're said to lead to anger if they're eaten raw or passion if they're eaten cooked. We'll talk about that with uh, Lakita and Morali in terms of those tastes that are so attractive to many here in the West and their views of those those pungent tastes. We're also going to discuss with Morali and Lakita what has come to be known as the Buddha's diet. This is a eating practice that is followed throughout many of the monastic communities where there is only one meal per day eaten, and that meal is eaten sometime between 11 a.m. and noon. The idea being that by eating food in the middle of the day and processing food during the daytime hours, the early mornings, well the evenings and then the early mornings, the mind is clear, the body is free of digesting and all the things that take place in the body due to digestion. So we're going to talk about that eating practice and how that might relate to life here in the West or how it might not relate to life here in the West. There's, you know, it, It's a profound practice for many who try to engage in that. I personally, while on retreat in, uh, in Nepal years ago, engaged for, I believe it was 14 days, 14 consecutive days of eating only one meal during the day and that was uh, around 11.30 in the morning. And it was, it was profound to learn how to tolerate hunger for hours a day it can become a a training for learning how to tolerate difficult emotions and physical pain, restricting eating into the morning. It kind of acts on our, on our desire like focusing a camera lens the way that the mind relates to the craving for pleasure and safety becomes clearer and easier to witness. This reminds me of a metaphor of Ajahn Chah, the great Thai forest teacher, who said that this eating rule is like a Thai lizard hunter. He finds the mound where the lizard lives and closes off all the holes but one, and then he waits, watching that one hole. Sooner or later, the lizard comes out where he can catch it, and in the same way, when we stop foraging for food whenever we want and expecting to be able to eat whenever we want, and we limit ourselves to the morning only, to that particular time frame only, we can begin to see how our mind's behavior around food manifests more clearly and then take steps as desired to, to work with that. So, this again, this is Mark Winwood on The Elegant Mind, Valley 104.9, serving the Snoqualmie Valley, the Lower Snoqualmie Valley, and the communities of Duval, Carnation, and Redmond Ridge. We're going to listen to a little bit of music, Bobby Vega, inspired by an afternoon's watching of Julia Child and whatever it was that Julia was creating. Bobby didn't remember, but we'll listen and we'll get to the interview with Lakita and Morali of Duval's longevity foods in terms of their ideas, their spiritual practices, and how all of that manifests in their approach to the philosophies, selection, cultivation, preparation, and eating of foods to best allow the blossoming of the elegant mind. So I bring you now the music of Bobby Vega in his ode to... The French chef, Julia Child, the PBS TV personality and host, the song is titled The Sensitive Chef. Enjoy. <laughs> Okay, we're back. This is Mark Winwood with the Elegant Mind. And as part of what this program is about, I bring you some local local folks who are involved with what I believe is a key aspect of cultivating, maintaining and expressing the elegant mind, and that is Lakita and Morali, the proprietors of a local vegan restaurant, health food store, juice bar, etc. called Longevity Foods. We sat down and spoke together on Monday, July 9th, and discussed a range of topics, all concerning nutrition and the mind. So I present Lakita and Morali. Thank you so much for listening. The health journey of Lakita and Morali began at the Ann Wigmore Natural Health Institute in Puerto Rico and led to the opening of the Raw Soul restaurant in New York City in 2002. For the next eight years, they ran the restaurant, taught food preparation classes and chef trainings to the community, and catered to health food stores. In 2010, they closed the restaurant and went to the Sivananda Vedanta Yoga Ashram in India to further enhance their yoga practice. Their duties there included teaching yoga classes, raw food preparation classes and chef trainings to ashram guests after four years of extensive travel in india they returned to the u.s and now own and operate longevity foods a health food store juice bar and deli in duval washington providing organic fresh juices smoothies sandwiches wraps and salads to the local community as well as raw food master chef classes yoga and meditation gatherings and very graciously hosting our Rizig project, Tibetan Buddhist Gatherings on alternate Thursdays from 6 to 8 p.m. So I'm sitting here with Lakita and Morali in their shop, Longevity Foods. And and thank you so much for being here, Lakita and Morali. Thank
1: you You're for having welcome. us.
0: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. This is this is so much fun to be doing this. So I want to jump right in, and obviously the type of shop, the type of service, the energy that you bring to this community is unique. I'd like for you to just talk a little bit about how you describe the philosophy and the methodologies of what you're seeking to accomplish and provide the folks who live here in the valley, the Snoqualmie Valley. And I'm wondering in the time that you've had the business uh, if you've if you've noticed any changes or progressions that might have taken place in your time here,
2: well, uh, our methodologies and philosophy are based on the five points of yoga, which uh, uh, are proper relaxation, proper breathing, proper exercise, proper diet, meditation, and positive thing? thinking, and so with those five points. In Whatever community we're in, we, we're looking to introduce a way to find balance and harmony to each individual in the community, and that way is through whether they're eating here or practicing yoga here or learning all of the five points uh, is to help them. And so our methodology is based on that.
1: Mm-hmm. And one thing we learned from being at the ashram is service, is that That's really our purpose is to serve, serve, serve. And even when we were in New York, I felt like we had a health ministry because we are not trained chefs. It was never our ideas to open up a restaurant and be a great chef. But we saw a need to educate people. We saw how much people are suffering just from ignorance, from not knowing the right food to put in their body, from having too much stress in their life not knowing how to combat that stress. So what we learned from being at the ashram are techniques that really help you to live a better life day to day.
0: So how does that relate? Obviously, this is longevity foods. It's not longevity yoga. It's not longevity meditation. It's longevity foods. And what you specialize in are raw foods or live foods. Mm -hmm. So... How does that specifically support the those foods and offering those foods to the community? How do you how, how does is it just a, a basis of nutrition, or is there something more to it than just the simple nutrition of those foods?
2: Well, it's it's a, it's all of those things. First of all, longevity foods doesn't just refer to the foods that we ingest. Longevity foods are the people that we are around. Longevity foods are the water or the liquids that we ingest as food, the air that we breathe, the thoughts that we partake or think. And so in that sense, it includes all things, especially as it relates to how we relate to one another. Based on the food alone, longevity foods will refer to or refers to foods that give a super nutritional density that helps the body to to cope with all of the um, all of the anomalies that can occur, known to us or unknown to us, and those anomalies include disease or pain or uh, etc. Joy, joy, good health. Good health. So,
1: Happiness, mm, energy. Mm. And so, we. Longevity Foods is a subsidiary of the Divine Life Yoga Society. Okay. So that's who we really are. But we operate the juice bar under Longevity Foods.
0: I see. And the Divine Life Yoga Society is based where?
1: Here. We are. We oh, are. I we see. Are mm-hmm. The Divine Life Yoga Society.
0: I see. So you're, I see so you both.
1: Yeah. And the Divine Life Yoga Society, uh, its objective is to um, implement the five points of yoga that Morley spoke about, and the food point is where longevity comes in. So that's just a way to get people in the door, without uh-huh. being another yoga, yoga
2: studio. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: And then once they're here, we let them know that we have meditation every Sunday, that we have food preparation classes. Uh, they can talk to either of us about spirituality. So we're trying to hit it from different directions to be able to get people in first yeah. in the door and then be able to help them.
0: And how's that going?
1: Great.
2: Yeah, wonderfully. Most of the, most of the constituents that come here might... My- position in the scheme of things is I'm the front person so I I do the register I'm out there to greet people even though they have access to both of us all the time and the first thing I hear or we hear is it feels so good in here it's it's so quiet in here, it's, even though we have <laughs> the noise of a kitchen the noise of uh, music or the noise of just activity there's a relief that most people, if not all, express when they walk through the door. And so our, our, our task is almost done before they walk in. But when they walk in, they're, they're poised to ask questions that we, we immediately answer because it's what we do. And then ultimately they take classes or they do cleanses or they participate in the longevity aspect of their own personal journey Mm. i remember
0: back i guess it was maybe in the 80s there was a magazine that started up called longevity magazine and it was it was kind of popular and then it it went out of business for whatever reason but i remember that that whole idea of it's not just about being happy today or a sense of well-being today but it's about longevity it's a it's about dealing with whatever comes your way and not letting it retard your growth or slow you down or or shorten your lifespan or your energy or that idea of longevity is an attractive idea
2: yes it is Mm -hmm. and
1: quality and quality of life because you don't want to live a long miserable life right (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) yes i can't argue with that (laughs) for sure so that's where we come in to really, so that people are happy and experience joy in their life and they have tools to, to help them to deal with life situations, much like what you're teaching.
0: Yeah, and just providing that service, uh, maintaining that atmosphere and that attitude and providing that service is also beneficial to you as well, as, as, as individuals, as a couple, as,
2: as proprietors. Right. as community members it's our seva it's our service it's what we offer so when we say we offer offer this to the community it starts with offering it to god what our understanding of what that means so by offering it up that's the service but in that light we get to serve the emanations of this divine being we call god this primeval personality and that's our message that's our motto that's our that's what we stand on that it's service to my mind is in the service of the lord while my hands are serving the community so you know the name of this program is the elegant mind and you've
0: just described one of the methodologies of of uh, cultivating the elegant mind through service However however we do that, whatever mm. Our, mm. our path or whatever our methodology is, the the, the that aspect of generosity right. and service is just completely empowering. So you mentioned the, the atmosphere here and you know, the first time I came in here I noticed there was music playing and it was kind of cool jazz music playing Then in speaking to you a little bit about that, I I heard that you're uh, jazz composers, musicians, jazz aficionados. You you lived in New York City for a while, so certainly there was lots of jazz going on uh, in the clubs in New York City. So I'm curious to hear what your perspectives are of the connection between, it doesn't have to be jazz music, although jazz has its own very unique energy. But the connection between music and that type of music perhaps and the, the empowerment of service and spirituality and creativity and how you see the, the music as an aspect of your lives and this establishment.
1: Music is a huge aspect of my life and Morley's as well. I can remember as a very young girl, always listening to the radio, listening to music, knowing all the words to all the songs and using music to express myself. When I didn't have the words, music could do it for me. When I had emotional trauma, music was there to soothe me and help me. When I lost my mother, it was music that got me through that. So music is so much a part of what I do. I mean, every morning I'm listening to the radio and all my favorite tunes and I'm dancing, I'm singing. So, when I get here, it just continues. And if I don't if I'm making food and I don't have the music on, I notice it. I'm not as happy. I don't feel as uplifted as I normally do. Something's a little off. Oh, the music went off. Mm and jazz in particular because there i see the genius in musicians that play jazz i hear it i i listen to their stories and i know that that, that they've reached divinity i can feel it i can hear it i understand it in music
2: and we also use uh music as a means to uh help us on this evolutionary progress or journey without sound the, the universal sound as we're taught Oh it encompasses everything including music and it, it encompasses the sounds that are not or that we perceive that are not
1: the sound of silence the
2: sound of silence that's right it, and and so what music does for me i too grew up with music all of the time, always around it, always playing it, always learning it. But here, even though the the background of both of us are jazz and rhythm and blues and uh, gospel, um, we play some of everything. And we live in an ashram, which is a monastic life. We we're the We're the married monk. In fact, married monks. In fact, we were at one of the ashrams and the, the, the Swami there was a little perplexed that what are you doing here? But once, once they understood and they, and they, uh, felt us and comprehended the work that we're doing, then there was no, no doubts or no questions about it. But we, we're clear. We're clear on. Uh, our purpose and, and our journey and one of the things that they loved is that we could we played we can sing we can play the drum we can play the keyboards and tambourines and and it brings a joy to all of us it elevates us music does and music soothes the savage beast and sometimes mankind can be that savage beast certainly So
0: something just came to mind you know your your uh, kind of geographical history and there's probably other things amidst that but there's Puerto Rico and then there's New York City and then there's India and now western Washington state which is a very different place than those other three so i'm just curious as as most of our listeners are local and enjoy and participate and perhaps deeply appreciate this part of the country the trees and the mountains and the rivers and the streams and the rainy winters. Uh, how do? You, how does this environment, how does, how does living and working in this area also enrich or support the work
2: that you're doing, or, or does it? Yes, it does. There's a vibratory nature to where we live, and early in my life, I must have been 16, 17 I understood the vibratory nature of of myself and that when I was around buildings and concrete and cars and automobiles and buses and my my vibratory nature was decreased the cacophony of all the sounds, smells, etc. But when I was around and I went to school about fifty miles outside of Detroit, Michigan, and when I was there, which is hills and bush uh, trees and uh, open space, and I felt I, I was certain of a, a different vibration in my physical being, but also I was more connected or it allowed me to be more connected to what we call my our spiritual or light being, our energy that that moves us and that gives us signals and questions are answered, etc. And so here in Western Washington, in particular, being surrounded by the mountains, running water, fresh water, birds, insects—these are this is, these are all things that we are we require. we we need to be around those things, and we noticed it when we lived in India. It's why we chose this area friend was living here and said come here it's probably like where you are and it pretty much is we were up in the Himalaya region of India in the north when we were living that part of India and in the south even you can see rolling hills and mountains off in the uh, horizon but it was all green it was all Mm -hmm. coconut groves and mango trees and
1: animals you know and i'm a city
2: boy but when i saw a crocodile as big as (laughs) a 20 foot boat it's like whoa (laughs) yeah (laughs) but there was a connection to that
0: i agree i'm also a city boy you know we're we're similar i was born and raised in new york city went to school there went to college there and worked there for years and just the other day i came out i came out of the house and uh there was some bear scat in the street right in front of our driveway, and I got all excited. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bear here. <laughs> Apparently, people see bears all the time, right, but I'm, right. I'm still, and and it resonates with me as well, this, this area, this environment. There are sometimes... I just look up at, at, at those trees and just see them swaying in, in the breeze and the blue skies and, and the slugs all over the ground, mm-hmm. and and it it's the same thing. It's an indescribable feeling. It is. It's just an opening and, a, and
2: an embracing. It's really quite... All embracing. Quite, and like quite, the music, it uh, elevates us. It does. It does elevate us.
1: One other thing we love about this area is that we have all these wonderful farms, these organic farms in this area and so this is a great thing this is one reason why we decided to have a business here in Duval we did live in Duval at this at that time and we realized that there was nothing here there was no juice bars no health food stores but the farms are here they're in Carnation they're in Duval and so we have such great access to good healthy food
2: truly truly In fact, one of the farmers here in the Valley grows our food for us. Most of the food that we provide is grown by the local farmers. And that's what makes the longevity aspect stand out because people get to know where their food is coming from. And that's essential.
1: And it builds community. I mean, people know our farmer. She's at the farmer's market. You know, these are Margaret's carrots. You know, oh, I want that. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: What, what's the name of, the, of her farm? Does it have a Sweet name? Sweet Harvest. Sweet Harvest Farm, and yeah. she's incarnation? Yes. yes. Okay, great, great. So jumping ahead, different topic. The New York Times recently reported the results of an eating and weight survey in which the lowest BMIs, the body mass indexes, were recorded in the fraction of people who finished lunch by early afternoon and did not eat again until the next morning. Just this one meal before noon. There's a very similar practice followed by Tibetan Buddhist monastics, part of the Vinaya, the monastic code, believed to have been written by the Buddha himself. And according to the Vinaya, monastics can eat food only between dawn and noon. I've heard that the reason for that is because meditation takes place early in the morning and in the evening so if the food is taken and completed by noon by evening the food isn't being digested anymore so there's no there's no sugar there's there's not all that activity from the digestion and in the morning as well so the body is calmer and the meditation is is purer so i'm just curious what is what's your impression of this and you know does do you think it does it seem possible perhaps to approach eating in this manner in the western cu- culture we're, we're, how do you, outside of of the food that you that you're serving to the community how do you view the eating of that food in terms of times of day or, or do you have does that
2: matter or not in your your mind it absolutely matters we like to share with uh anyone that will listen, life requires us to have rituals. And some of those rituals, we don't practice in the West because everything is generated or requires us to have food present or to, even if you're not eating, it's around and ultimately you end up eating. And so we we want people to, our our thoughts and philosophy on this are everything in moderation. And if we can limit our, Uh, ingestion of foods, whatever they are, between certain hours, then your ability to concentrate during the meditation practice will help you in this journey we call evolution or life. And
1: And also in the raw food community, there are many people that practice what's called the daylight diet, and it's essentially the same thing, where they try to be finished eating before the sun goes down.
0: Really? Yes. Daylight diet? Daylight
1: diet. Uh, most people try to be finished eating by 2 o'clock, 2 or 3 o'clock, uh, so that the body does have time to digest the food, and you can be relaxed and and do things and focus your mind on other things other than watching TV and and, and have time to do more spiritual practices in the evening time. Because many people will say, oh, I want to meditate, but I don't have time. By the time I get home and make dinner and eat dinner, it's, you know, it's time to go to bed. Well, of course, because that's too late. And we know from experience that eating six, seven, eight o'clock at night, you don't digest your food well, you don't sleep as well, because the body is working too hard. In America, I think the standard is to allow two to three hours before you go to bed after eating. But that's hard to do if you eat at eight, nine o'clock at night. So if you don't allow that time and you go to sleep, what happen? You're not going to sleep well. You're probably going to wake up hungry because the digestive system was working all through the night. So you wake up tired. And if this becomes a habit, then it can lead to other disorders. So I absolutely believe in that. We try to finish eating by the time we leave here, so we have our dinner here before we leave at five thirty, and then try just have water at night.
2: Just water at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we try. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, we we we'll have juice mm-hmm.
0: or or a smoothie or a
2: smoothie something something lighter than, and those things are pre-digested because it's a smoothie; it's blended so your body doesn't really have to do much work and and i'll tell you my our personal experience is that when you follow certain guidelines as far as uh, daylight eating or eat stop eating at a certain time it's easy to get up at four o'clock in the morning and practice meditation it just no alarm is required you just get up and of course we've established a routine but your internal clock gets up and wakes up wakes you up and you get on with with the work at hand and it becomes easier to go to sleep at night mm-hmm. you, you know. have
1: more energy during the day
2: you know
0: that's really interesting i am a late night person i do a lot of reading and writing late at night and i tend to eat i snack and i like to sleep late in the morning i have trouble waking up in the morning and i've never really connected that with the fact that i'm eating at night kathy my 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 love, my fiancé, Kathy doesn't eat at night at all, and she has no problem waking. She doesn't stay up as late as I do. She goes to sleep probably around 9.30 or 10. But she has no problem waking up at 5.30 in the morning to get to work. And I've never connected. I've never thought about needing to sleep late in the morning and eating at night before. I've never made that connection. It's interesting to think about yeah.
2: Well I, I know for for my own personal observation with me is that that was that was how I grew up. I, I woke I would wake up at, in the middle of the night and eat a gigantic bowl of cereal or something <laughs> or whatever was available and my mother had such a hard time getting me up. It's time to go to school and everyone else, who you know stopped eating at seven o'clock, six o'clock was up and at him and I was <laughs> and I don't think it had much to do with me waking up in the middle of the night. it had to do with me eating in the middle of the night and and I know that for a fact as an adult that when I if I dare to eat even you know a handful of nuts or whatever, I pay for it the next day because I turn that alarm I snooze that alarm clock you know, <laughs> Four or five times before I can even get myself to move. So. Interesting. And when we're talking about eating at night, we're talking
0: about sunset night, darkness night, or 7
2: p.m. or 8
0: p.m.? 6 I mean,
2: p.m. 6 you know, p.m. Give yourself, give your body time to do what it's it needs to do. And that is how it takes care of you. If we give it an opportunity to, to function at its highest. At its most optimum uh, level, then we create the opportunities that we need to do, uh, use other tools at our disposal, like Mm -hmm. meditation, like Mm -hmm. uh, Asana practice, or Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. calisthetics, whatever, Mm -hmm. to help help to continue helping the body.
0: Well, our time is is getting short. I'm keeping my eye on on the clock. There is one thing that I want to ask you that I'm just curious about, and I want to would like to get your opinions. From the time that I've spent on retreat in monasteries, Tibetan Buddhist monasteries, one of the things that that is kind of a rule is to avoid what are known as the black foods. Onions, garlic, scallions, chives, and leeks are five pungent spices or the black foods. And they're forbidden for some Tibetan Buddhist monastics because they're said to lead to anger if they're consumed raw and passion or disturbing passion if they're cooked. The Tibetan monastics also say that their odors, the odors will repel beneficial beings, beneficial gods, beneficial ideas and thoughts and energies, and will attract hungry ghosts and demons, either materially or psychologically. So I'm just curious with your experience and what you do, this idea of black foods, onions, garlic, scallions, chives, and leeks, having a detrimental effect on the mind.
1: What's your sense of that? When we were at the ashram, we did not partake in them for very similar reason. They said that they were either rajashtic, like I said, incite passion, or make you tamastic, lazy, difficult to meditate while having those foods. So while we were in India at the ashram, we did not partake of those. And when we came back here and if we had any food that had onions or garlic in it, immediately I thought, oh, my God, this tastes so delicious. Yeah. <laughs> it was like having well, there it you go. for the first time. <laughs> so in our personal practice, we, don't, we are aware of that, and so we limit it. But here at the store, I do use it.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, that I learned while in monastery is that the Tibetans will purposely mix different types of foods together to lessen the strong taste of any one of those. Mm-hmm. In mixing food, we get a, a kind of a smoother, less vibrant taste, which again, from the Tibetan Buddhist practices the idea of calm, stable, serene mind with nothing agitating, including taste. Mm-hmm. Pungent taste mm-hmm. is something
2: that is always tried to, to be maintained.
1: That's very interesting. Yeah,
2: well, and yeah. our guru, yeah. uh, Swami Shivananda Maharaj, always taught that, and we stand by these teachings, that everything in moderation will help support our personal growth. And those foods as tasty as they are make you eat more and so our practice does include moderation even even when we're cooking here we're we're going for flavor because when you're when you're feeding the community they want food to taste good i don't know if if i'm sure all of us in this room remember in the 60s and 70s when health food <laughs> <laughs> tasted like this <laughs> it was it was just horrendous and that's an important part of this, the puzzle, that our food tastes good. Yeah. And so we can teach all of the other things, you know, eat, don't eat early in the morning, Eat stop eating at six o'clock. But if the body's not satiated, that's not going to happen.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the funny things is just talking about the idea of passive tasting food as being better for, the, not better necessarily, but having beneficial effects on the mind and then to be offered right in the middle of Tibetan Buddhist practices in the gompa, the meditation hall, yak tea, which is salty, really bitter-tasting, and really sweet. The, it's like an explosion of taste, mm. you know, and I, I never really understood how, how well, how, how could that be good here, but yet you can't eat garlic or onion there you know, and it's—I guess—it's just the way practice evolves.
1: Yeah, and the culture.
0: And Yachty the culture is
1: probably is such a huge part of the culture. It is,
0: it is, yeah. it, and it's really
2: hard to drink. It's mm-hmm. very well. It's we very also difficult. have to look at um, look at not just cultural, but the the evolutionary process of our practices. So during during our monastic life, I liked not having garlic and onions, but. Like Lakita, when you had it, it's like, whoa, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, some of the swamis would have chilies around in India. Chilies are everywhere. That's yeah. the thing. And I couldn't take it. It was just, yeah. it was too much. But when it was, when it was garlic or onions, it was just something yeah. about it. Yeah. I and mean, we also have to keep in mind that out of all the billions and billions of entities in this world and, uh, especially and particularly human, we have our everyone has their temperament. And your practice should be based on your temperament, not someone else's. So for some those black foods don't bother them because of their temperament.
1: It helps to balance yeah. it helps.
2: Yeah. And
0: so But it takes so it takes time to to experience and, and it takes it takes awareness and mindfulness to really begin to see the effects. Mm that different foods might have on your on your moods or your your outlooks and there's a lot of other things that also come into play but nobody said these practices were were easy no No. (laughs) certainly not simple so well we're running out of time so uh, i guess i would just like to wrap up by saying, this has really been fantastic. This has been so much fun and, and thank you for sharing your, your insights, your information. This is Longevity Foods and it's right in Duval on Main Street, Highway 203, across from the subway. And this is Lakita and Morali, the proprietors, the leaders, the inspirations, really nice, friendly, Loving people, and it's a pleasure, and uh, it's a real benefit to have them in our community. So, thank you, Lakita, and you for having thank us. you, Morali. Yeah. Thanks so much. So there you have it, Lakita and Morali. Uh, you know, it's said that settling into a self-imposed regiment of healthy eating uh, can have a profound effect on the mind a mixture of increased self-confidence, self-respect, decrease in the kind of anxiety that results from not feeling able to rely on oneself. Other benefits of healthy eating, healthy nutrition, include increased mental clarity and lightness, especially in the latter half of the day, and better sleep at night. So, this is the elegant mind. This is a program brought to you here on Valley 104.9, streamed on the internet at www.valley1049.org. This is a program that brings to you different ideas and different perspectives, sourced out of the Eastern ideas, in particular the, the practices, the life sciences, the mind sciences of Tibet, to give you uh, food (laughs) food for thought food for thought in terms of what you do what we do what we do together what we do individually and why we do it if you would like to uh, send an email if you have some ideas and some questions if you'd like to participate in this program be interviewed in this program if there's something that you're doing beneficial to the community at large uh, please, please be in touch. You can send an email to me, Mark Winwood, at theelegantmindvalley1049.org. This is community radio, and community is interactive and collaborative two way. So I do look forward to hearing from you, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Elegant Mind. In the meantime, enjoy the beautiful summertime weather we're having. Be careful driving around. There's kids on bikes and folks walking and people riding horses and all types of activity. So thank you. Enjoy. Eat well. Eat healthy. Be elegant. Allow your mind to be as elegant as it can possibly be. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.